The following is a message by Professor Julius Kim of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at westcal.edu or call us 760-480-8474. Father, thank you for the gift of song, for the opportunity that you give to us on this morning to lift up our praises and our thanks to you. For you have been faithful to your people through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we come here this morning to exalt him as one, with one voice, with one heart, and with one mind, unified in our common confession that you are our Lord and we are here to serve you. And so we ask that you would bless us as we look into your word, encourage our hearts, inspire us to continue to be faithful to you because of your faithfulness to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where we'll continue our look at this epistle, the second epistle of the Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica. We find ourselves in the faculty series in verse 13, chapter 2, verse 13. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 through 17. Listen carefully, for this is God's word. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, Stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. May the Lord bless to us the reading of his word. As you know, as the father of two very young children, I've become quite an expert on Disney movies. Um, And while not every single Disney movie is the best in instilling in my children a God-centered biblical worldview, they do nonetheless, nonetheless provide some good object lessons on life and every so often a good sermon introduction. Take, for example, the movie Lion King. In one particular memorable scene, The young prince, young Simba, has just discovered that he maybe has caused the death of his father, King Mufasa. And having just recently fled the clutches of those hyenas that were supposed to kill him, he is rescued. Rescued by two animals far, far away from his home. A wisecracking, overcompensating young meerkat named Timon, and a simple yet fiercely loyal warthog named Pumbaa. And it's actually from these two, shall we call them therapists? From these two therapists that Simba actually learns his first lesson, his first lesson on actually how to cope with the bitter realities of life and the guilt, the depression, and even the fear and anxiety caused by his father's death as he learns these two very important words, Hakuna Matata. Hakuna Matata, he learned, was a philosophy 
that it's endorsed a problem-free worldview. You just forget about it. No matter what the world throws at you, don't worry about it. And so with these two simple words, Simba apparently learns to deal with the bitter realities of his life by just forgetting about it. Now a lot of these young Christians in Thessalonica were, were facing very similar circumstances, the bitter realities of life and death. They were fearful, they were anxious, and according to the Apostle Paul, not dealing with it in the right gospel-centered way. And so Paul responds with two simple words of his own. No, not Hakuna Matata. But with two simple words to ground them back in the gospel. Remember and remain. And so Paul responds with these two words, to remember and remain. In the midst of difficult circumstances of life and death, remember who you are in Christ and remain steadfast in Christ So what I'd like to do today is simply look at these two words and how Paul describes how young Christians who themselves face external and internal struggles that life throws at them to remember the gospel and to remain steadfast in the gospel. So first, let's take a closer look at the difficult realities first that these young Christians face and then look at the response of Paul to remember and remain. So, what were these realities these young Christians in Thessalonica faced in the first century? Though I'm sure these early Christians encountered a variety of different circumstances and problems and concerns and issues, two specific realities emerged from Paul's two letters. First, the reality of anxiety. Secondly, the anxiety of fear. They were anxious, quite simply, about the future. Even a precursory look at these two letters, we we see a lot of Paul's concern over their concern about these false teachers who had entered into their midst and were actually telling them that Jesus had returned. They had come into their church and had told them, Jesus is back. Sell all your belongings. Quit your jobs. Come meet us here at the church. We'll sing and pray and praise together until Jesus stops at our church. I think he's in L.A. right now, but pretty soon he's going to make his way down to Escondido. So until he does that, quit your jobs. There's no reason. Why are you working? Why are you you wasting your time? Now, there are actually people in the church that were swayed by this teaching. And were actually selling their properties, selling and quitting their jobs, and living at the church. And that's why you have these admonitions by Paul for these people to stop being idle with their time. To be productive with their time. But I'm sure there are quite a few people that were thinking, hmm, but Paul said that the coming of the Lord wouldn't be like this. And so as a result, it must have caused a lot of anxiety. And so Paul writes earlier in chapter 2, in verse 2, it says, don't become easily unsettled. And don't become alarmed by some prophecy or some report supposed to have come from us saying that the, the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you. And so you have these external pressures, false teaching, that were causing a lot of internal anxiety, worry. And you know, anxiety is more than just this kind of worrying about what might happen. Anxiety is that feeling of utter powerlessness, isn't it? 
when your circumstances seem out of control. And you know what that feels like. Because though there might not be false teachers here, I hope, at Westminster, or in your churches telling you that the day of the Lord has come, you've been in circumstances in your life when your future seems out of control. You can't make sense of why these things are happening to you, whether it's a car accident, a child's death, seminary midterms, who knows? But there are circumstances in life when you do feel powerless about the future. And it's in moments like that when you get anxious and then what happens? I think one out of two things. You either overcompensate for being unable to control your future and so you take control. You can take control of your future. You take control of your future. Or you're paralyzed by it. Since you can't control it, you just don't do anything about it. And you just give in. And I wonder if this is what the Thessalonians were facing. Because of this false teaching, the external and internal pressures that they faced, they were just not handling life in the right gospel-centered way. In a way that they, they knew that God was in control, and yet the circumstances told them otherwise. And so they're torn. And if you're honest with yourself, as Christians, you've been there too. Even as seminarians, or even as professors. And so this is one reality that they face, this anxiety over the future. But they face another reality that becomes clear when we read about the situation in Thessalonica from Acts 17. Not only did they face anxiety about what the future held, but they were also quite fearful about their present circumstances. In Acts 17, we read about Paul's journey into this city. And he begins to preach and evangelize to build up the church. But what, ev what eventually happened? The Jews incited a riot and they were chased out of the city. There was physical and I'm sure vis a verbal persecution against this young, fledgling church. And for this young church that was trying to make sense of this new religion and their new confession, their new commitment to this Lord Jesus, they were facing a lot of persecution. And in the light of this persecution, physical, and I'm sure verbal, this is not the first time Paul faced persecution. You know that he faced it in Berea, he faced it in Philippi. We read about all the struggles he faced in 2 Corinthians 11. And in the midst of that, it's not too difficult to imagine the kind of fear and eventual, what? Doubt and distrust that, that could arise as a result of these present circumstances. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11, after describing all these difficult persecutions that he faced, from flogging to being shipwrecked, to being dangerous from bandits, to being naked, to being hungry. And then he writes in verse 29, Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. 
Surely Paul himself is talking about the sin of fear, doubt, and distrust in our Lord that arise in our own hearts when external pressures of our present circumstances are just overwhelming. And while many of us here in North America don't face the kind of physical persecution that we might find in places like Sudan and Indonesia, we do nevertheless face a lot of persecution from our world for just being a Christian, from our neighbors, from those with whom we work. And that yields within us what? Fear. Not fear of physical pain, perhaps, but for being a Christian in this world, sometimes we get fear of not being accepted, a fear of not being respected, a fear of losing our credibility, our status, our place, our pride in this world that calls Christianity foolishness. And so these were the difficult realities they faced pride-enhancing anxiety of the future and joy-depriving fear of persecution in the present. So in light of these realities, what does Paul say? Paul says simply, with thankfulness, he says, remember and remain. I know these are difficult circumstances. I know there are a lot of external and internal pressures in your life. Remember who you are and remain steadfast in Christ and the gospel. He says in verses 13 through 15, to give, he gives thanks to God. In light of all these circumstances, Paul says, I thank God. Why? Brothers, we are loved by the Lord. We are fundamentally loved by the creator of the universe. You have been chosen by God. From the beginning of time, you have been saved by the Spirit and by faith. You have been called for salvation. And you share in the glory of Jesus. From the beginning of time to the end of time, God is in control. Not only is He in control of the universe, but He is sovereignly in control of your life. Loved by the Father. Called to be his adopted child. You who were former orphans have been chosen by God from the mass of rebellious humanity to be his very treasured possession. And why is that so important? I wish we had more time to, to actually talk about these truths. Why is this so important? Because in many ways, I'm just like my daughter, Emma. And I'm sure you are too. How am I like Emma? Emma's five, Emma's five years old. And every so often, yes, she makes mistakes. And when she makes mistakes, I have to punish her. And when I do punish her, inevitably she asks, with tears streaming down her face, Daddy, do you still love me? Daddy, you still love me, right? Emma, of course I love you. I'll always love you. Even when I make mistakes, do you still love me? Yes. What if I make a mistake tomorrow? Will you still love me? Of course, I'll always love you. Even when you're spanking me, you love me? Emma, I love you. Bordering on frustration. Emma, I love you. And I wonder if that's what 
Paul is reminding us here. And I wonder if like children, we often forget in the midst of present circumstances, when circumstances seem to dictate otherwise, when the present seems out of control, when the future seems out of control, we need that reminder, don't we? Yes, dear child, your Abba Father loves you. Remember the gospel. I gave you my own son. I chose you to be saved by the Spirit. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died for you, my son, my daughter. And he rose again for your vindication. Remember who you are. And in light of that, he finishes off in verse 15, remain steadfast in the truth and hold to the teachings that I gave to you. See, once you've been justified, once you've been reminded that your status before, before God is not up to you or in your good works, but all up to a sovereign God that decided to choose you and save you and justify you, that faith is never alone, is it? You're justified by faith alone, but that faith is never alone. And so with clear logic, Paul continues and says, yes, remember who you are in Christ, but remain steadfast in light of that truth. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Remember the gospel. Remember who your heavenly father is. That he's the alpha and the omega. And so remain steadfast. Hold to the teachings that I've passed on to you. And so now we're called to cling to the promises of God. Found where? In his word. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. And hearing from where? The word of Christ. The word of God, Romans tells us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And that's really our problem as Christians, isn't it? Yes, we face a lot of moral sin issues. But at the end of the day, our fundamental problem is what? Unbelief. Not having faith that God is in control. And so we hold on by faith to the promises found in the Word, the Word of Christ. And where do we find that? Where do we get this first and foremost from the church every Lord's Day? When we submit ourselves to the ministry of the gospel, found in the preaching of the gospel, and as we share in his sacraments. It's hard, I know, especially in a world with so many disappointments and discouragements. And yet we're called to be his children, to faithfully cling to his promises, the promises of our loving Father in heaven. And so whether we struggle with anxiety or fear of the future or the present, friends, beloved of the Lord, beloved of the sovereign God who chose you from the very beginning of time and will still love you at the end of time, remember who you are in Christ and remain steadfast in that truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these simple and yet profound words that you give to us through the Apostle Paul. And, in the, and though sometimes we may feel like we're drowning in the topsy-turvy waves of life, teach us to remain anchored in Christ and in his gospel and in the promises that you've given us through him. 
and then challenge us and inspire us to remain steadfast in those truths, whatever circumstances may befall us. For we know that he who is in us is stronger than he who is in the world. And we know that our labor is not in vain, for it is a labor of love for our Lord. Thank you, Father, for this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Professor Julius Kim of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at westcal.edu or call us 760-480-8474.